John Billingsley, Phil Flox, Hollywood Food Coalition here. Guess what? Trek Talks 2. It's happening. You asked for it. You got it. January 14, eight hours of premium Star Trek entertainment. Amazing guests, mad cappery, insightful social commentary, musical interludes. Support HoFoCo. Check us out at HoFoCo.org, helping people in need for almost 40 years. 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the 14th of January at TrekTalks.net. Live long and mark your calendars. Again, TrekTalks.net. The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 400 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for discovering Trek listeners. Fansets, our pins have character. A high stakes contest, questions answered, and the coolest starship name in the history of Starfleet. Episode 10 of Lower Decks gives us a Season 3 finale that was exciting, action-packed, and had some amazing twists. Will we see the end of the California-class starships? Will an AI-run starship take over second contact responsibilities? And most importantly, will Mariner go all Picard from the chase and become an archaeologist for the rest of her career? Well, let's find out. Step into the turbo lift and hit that down button, folks. My name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek Lower Decks. Thanks so much for joining us, and welcome to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Universe Companion, presented by Fansets. The Season 3 finale of Star Trek Lower Decks did not pull any punches. Freeman stands up for a crew and her mission in front of the very highest of Starfleet Command, a contest against a seemingly invincible opponent, and some unbelievable answers to Rutherford's past gave us an incredible final episode of the season. But before we get into too much detail about this finale, I have to introduce my two amazing co-hosts. It has been a fantastic season of Lower Decks, and because of these two gents, it's been an amazing season of Discovering Trek. As always, to help me break down this week's episode are my friends Bill Smith and Casey Shasky. Casey, as always, good to see you, buddy. And wow, just some pretty amazing things took place in this finale, and we got a lot to talk about. We sure do, my friend. <laughs> this was an awesome, once again, another awesome season finale. Lower Decks absolutely knows what they're doing and you know, satisfies once again. Absolutely. And Bill, not a cliffhanger per se, but I'm going to say it right now. Uh, folks are going to want to stick around through the credits on this one because something very important does take place. Thanks so much for, uh, for having me back, buddy. Um, so for the first time in Star Trek history, we get a post-credits scene. This is pretty epic. And I'm sorry, the coolest starship name? You were such a kiss-ass. I don't care. It's awesome. You I are literally, so... I, you know what? what? A brown noser. But that's the one ass you want to kiss, isn't it? So, so it's the USS San Jose, right? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the USS Englewood. That's it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, yeah, yeah, well, F Englewood. No, Englewood, get, where you at? We'll get to that name in just a moment. 
Black Alert. This episode of Discovering Trek Lower Decks, as always, contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched Star Trek Lower Decks, episode 10, the season finale, stop listening right now, head on over to Paramount Plus and watch the episode, then head back over to us with Discovering Trek. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for the star at night. Are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. Thank you. Thank you. You're late with the clap. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I think we're going to have a fun discussion, guys. As our listeners can surely tell, we have not had anything to drink. At least that's what I'm saying. Um, it, it was a great. It was a great season. And let's get our thumbs up, thumbs down. I kind of have an idea of what we're all going to vote on. Bill, what did you think about this finale, buddy? Uh, two thumbs way up. I said this last year, and I'll say it again this year. Mike McMahon can write the hell out of a season finale. Um, he's three for three. Each time it's been a grand slam home run. And this episode is no exception. Absolutely. And Casey, are you on the same page with uh, your friend Bill there? Oh, absolutely. Mike McMahon, Pablo Sandoval, this whole thing in the World Series. Home yep. run, home run, home run. Three yep. for three. Uh, dude knows what he's doing. He is fantastic. It's great to have a showrunner who loves Star Trek as much as he does, who writes fantastic episodes of Lower Decks like he does. And like you said, I also gave it a thumbs up, two thumbs up, six thumbs up. Doesn't matter how many thumbs, they're all up. He did a fantastic job, as did the entire animation cast, the writers, the voice actors. It was all perfect. Dare Mm -hmm. I say the best uh, uh, finale of the three seasons we've seen so far on Lower Decks? I'm going to go that far. I'll agree with that. Okay, cool. So let's get right into it, guys. Um, I'll get it off my chest now. You always guys were giving me crap a few minutes ago, uh, but I'll tell you, when the starship Van Sitters swung into screen and to save the day, I was ecstatic because as we all know, we know John. We love giving John mm-hmm. a hard time. He's a great guy, but he is now official Star Trek canon, and that's going to be pretty awesome and i would love to talk to him and find out what it was like for him when he either read or saw for the first time that a starship was going to be named after him and a starship that swoops in and saves the day well we should probably level set for some viewers who have no idea who we're talking listeners who have no yeah. idea who we're talking about <laughs> yes we're we're talking about uh vice president uh you know of of i guess it's now paramount um who who deals with the star trek brand john van sitters uh, who's worked for Star Trek for a long time, who was a massive fan of Star Trek and always has been. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the person who has a, st- a starship named after him this week. And of course, it's a sovereign class. Yes, it's absolutely beautiful. And and it it, it just fits. The name fits for a starship. And you gotta, I got to say, hearing Shaxx call it out, that's when I was like, oh, I, I think I squealed. I really think I squealed. I was so excited. <laughs> I was very, very happy. Not only for Star Trek fans, but for John. I can, I can only imagine what, uh, uh, what he was thinking when he saw that. It was just pretty cool. You might want to wipe pre- your nose off. No, it's all yeah. right. I don't mind it. Yeah. John knows what yeah. I'm like. We'll just get him some maple syrup, and he'll be fine from there. Yeah, it's he, fine. <laughs> he was probably thinking, gosh, I wonder what Dan thinks that I'm thinking about this. <laughs> I know that's what I was thinking. Yeah, well, you know, well, you know, that's what happens when you're the host of Discovering Trek. Some, some things, you know. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So that was one thing I loved. One thing I did not like, but it actually works with the episode, and we'll get into it in more detail, is yet, guys, another Badmiral. How many times have we seen Badmirals in Star Trek, Casey? And here we go. Admiral Buenamigo. What do you have to but say it, about him? But his name is Les Buenamigo. Literally uh, less than a good friend. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if this wasn't a giveaway from point zero... <laughs> <laughs> it was like, come on, come on now. Let's be bilingual. And it was like, yeah. Um, 
a, a little bummed that it was another bad Adderall, but I kind of like that he just totally was, hey, this is who I am, you know? And this I'm, he, not, he, I'm not shy about it. He wasn't shy about it, but Bill, he was nuts. The, the way that he, the, when he finally decided to just spill the beans, talking about everything, it was like, wow, this guy got this far up in the chain and he is this much off of his rocker. I was really surprised, but in a good way. Well, here's the thing. It's not that he's off his rocker. I just, I think that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I think that this bad moral trope is done equally as effectively as Terry O'Quinn's character in the Pegasus in Star Trek The Next Generation. Nice callback. You know, at the very beginning, you don't believe he's necessarily evil, Mm -hmm. but he's created something that doesn't fit well with Starfleet and clearly doesn't care about the possible ramifications. It's not until later that you realize, oh yeah, this dude is not just bad news, he's he's the worst news. And I think he kind of mirrors Eric Pressman in that sense. Um, ultimately, I think that Lower Decks really does a great job with the bad world trope, probably better than a lot of the other shows. Well, that's a good point. A very good point. And, and he's bad. I mean, he, he doesn't care about, you know, what he did to Rutherford, which was a great, oh. uh, a great revelation. And I said it a few weeks ago. I said, guys, I'm really hoping that whoever is behind all this, cause you, you only saw him in the shadows. So I'm like, I really hope it's a big name. It wasn't a big, big name. But it was a big name for this season. So I, mm-hmm. I, I was kind of happy about how we saw that revelation about who it was who did the things to Rutherford that he did. I'm glad they relied a little bit on Lower Decks canon. Yes. And not, didn't make it necessarily yes. like Sloan, you know, reanimated mm-hmm. from Section 31 or, or Jellico or, or somebody. I'm yeah. glad that they stay, kept it within their own, the confines of their own series um, because I think it made it much more interesting. I, I agree with mm-hmm. that. Casey, one of the things, we actually talked about it last week when we got just a little bit of a hint of the Texas-class starship. Um, we were all talking like, um, who thinks that this is a good idea? Fully automated, this it's not going to go well. And you would think that a badmiral or an admiral who has climbed the ladder and even admits there's nowhere else to go for him, he's at the mm-hmm. highest that he can be at, would kind of have an idea of what's happened in the past with all of this uh, AI stuff. And for some reason, he thinks he's the one that's going to answer all the questions and set everything right. Ego and hubris, you know? Yeah. They're, they're the people who think, oh, well, the people before me did this wrong, but I'll do it better, or I'll do it where everything will be just fine. I mean, we've met these narcissistic a-holes and you're like going oh 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 really so they don't learn anything from what's happened in the past they just it, it's kind of like brushing it all under the rug and going oh well no I, i'm not gonna to listen to any of that and take that all into account of what i might want to do it's like i know better than everything else and i know better than actual actions and events that have happened so then that's when you know they're nuts Right. Bill, you were, you were enthusiastically nodding your head when Casey was talking about this. He's spot on. I, I can't yeah. say it any better. He, he hit it perfectly. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about the, the AI aspect and, and, and what uh, Buen Amigo was, was talking about. We've, we've talked a little bit about the whole Rutherford thing. I thought that was a very important part of Rutherford's character. We've, we talked about with the episode where he was kind of fighting himself with the, with the, the spaceship race about, you know, which, which is better, the, the, the now Rutherford or the real Rutherford that, we, that had this accident and had 
his memory wiped and everything like that. I think that this was a great way to resolve that question um, by him being the hero who recognizes that it's his own, I don't even know what to call it. Um, code. His own code. code, rather, uh, um, that, is, that is running these ships. And he knows it's going to be a problem based on what he knows with what he had to deal with a few weeks back. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I, I think that Rutherford had to be the person to discover that because I, I think it's the most effective use in, in the story, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a whole lot to do last week, but I think that this week, him kind of coming to that realization uh, really just kind of drops a huge bomb, and I think it's important. Yeah. Casey, what do you think about about the whole Rutherford aspect of this season? It It's a nice tie. You know, everything ties in together. So instead of there, like we talked about just earlier, there being somebody outside of... Lower Decks canon, that was the the person doing this. We get Buen Amigo as quote, the villain, and Rutherford really growing this season into beyond what he was before the, the accident and beyond whatever code is going on with him and in him. So uh, I think this opens up opportunities to see where he's not always that, hey-ho, how do you do kind of person and a little more well-rounded. And oh, it's intriguing because it's like, where do, where do we go from here? That's exactly what I was going to ask you guys is, is do you think, and I'm not saying that I think this or want this to happen, but it's going to sound like I'm putting a negative tone on it and I'm not trying to. Do you think by the, by the fact that we, he now knows what happened, he's got these memories of who did what, of what to him, that we're going to see kind of a slowdown in the building of the Rutherford character, or is it going to be more because he's now going to have to deal with, with, you know, those memories and what happened and, and what parts of them are real and what parts of them are coded in with his implants. Do you think that that's an opportunity for growth going forward? Or do you think we're going to see kind of a stagnation of his character for a little while, Bill? I don't think this series does stagnation. That's a good point. Um, And I think they've proven that with every episode in, in, Mm -hmm. in each season. Uh, everything is an opportunity for Rutherford to grow. It's just a question of how he decides to learn from it. Even at the end of this episode, he kind of, you know, you think he's going to go dark and you think he's going to go dark and then he snaps out of it and we're back to Rutherford again. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's who he is at his core. You know, I, there's, it, it may answer the question, is does this AI enhance who he's always been? Was he that other Rutherford? And we'll use that for, you know, one of them, or Red Rutherford as we referred to it earlier in the season. Um, is, was he that because of the pressure and the work put it, put on him by Admiral Buenomigo? Um, we don't know. So right. I, I think that, I think Rutherford will always be Rutherford because I think that that's just a core to the character and it's important to the series. Yeah, I agree. Casey, uh, your th- mm-hmm. same, same, uh, same idea. I think it's a perfect opportunity for him to really expand as a character, but I also think he's going to have some inner demons that he's going to be dealing with. Well, then that that's growth because don't we all have inner demons that we deal mm-hmm. with? It's not all Dude. you know sunshine and rainbows. It's the days that are crap that you struggle through and you work it through to then really appreciate the other days that are you know fantastic and. That's what we want to see for these characters to be more and more human or more and more alive when they're animated. I think if he starts going around saying, I will burn your heart in a fire, we're going to have some problems. <laughs> yeah, 
like that. That's every barbecue at Dan's house. <laughs> speaking, of, <laughs> speaking of fires, guys, I got to say, I think this is the first time that we've seen such massive death in lower decks. I mean, those explosions were taking out crew members on the space station and they were going up in flames and and that that station took a lot of damage and there were a lot mm-hmm. of people on it. I got to admit, even for an animated show with what we've come to 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 respect and love about lower decks, it's a little unsettling for those scenes. Yeah, especially I mean, coming from a starship, uh, a Starfleet vessel. At the end of the day, this this is Star Trek and and yeah. you know, there is a very real danger Mm-hmm. Um, when you get all that coupled with music that really kind of evokes the James Horner scores from some of the films, no. um, it, it paints a very, very dark picture. And I, I think that they dealt with it as, as only lower decks could. I, th- I thought they handled it really well. Yeah. Yeah. On, on that, I think we as viewers have become a little bit, um, used to not thinking space is dangerous. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, a tiny little hole in that ship could kill everyone. And you're you're you are however thick the hole is in the secondary hole, that's all that's protecting you from death. Yeah. So to to get some of that and see, yeah, the stakes are very high. There are consequences. There are going to be things that stick and are wonderful, or they're going to hurt. And we have to remember that, you know. Inevitably, it's a dangerous mission, no matter what the mission is, just so you survive. You don't hit asteroids. You don't hit this. You don't hit that. Mm-hmm. Whatever planets have satellites going around, you you know, you have to negotiate all that. And there has to be some depth and, and drama to all this. Right. Oh, we definitely saw it. Um, so we already talked about the Starship Van Sitters, which was wonderful. But I got to say, seeing the entire <laughs> California class... Uh, f- the yeah. entire fleet of starships warp in from everywhere, and then just having names just read off one after another. Someone who lives in California, Casey, Dude. you must have loved that scene. <laughs> as as a NorCal boy, it was like, <laughs> bring it, just keep bringing it. And you know, SoCal names would come out. I'm gonna go, yeah, okay. But <laughs> it was it was it was wonderful because I kept I was intrigued to see what places would be used as names for all this and it was like yeah hey were there any that you were like oh come on (laughs) well yeah Uh, i'll tell you offline i was like really (sighs) somebody listening from yeah the uss fan sitters (laughs) (laughs) i was like eagle moss isn't around because that would be a wonderful model (laughs) i I think it's a it's a wonderful Uh, defense of the california class ships as second contact vessels plus i mean you see all those ships warping in from everywhere. And it, I, you know, as a viewer, it kind of makes you go, yeah, that's mm-hmm. exactly what I want to see because they're mm-hmm. going to get this done. Mm-hmm. And what do they do? They get it done. They're not just second class vessels. They're Starfleet vessels. That's right. And they come to rescue the Cerritos in grand fashion as only they could. You know, it's it's with modern Trek that we've been able to see these amazing scenes like uh um season one of, of Discovery comes to mind when all the ships warp in at the at the uh at the yeah. neutral zone and then the Klingon ships warp in and we saw it in Picard um and it really was amazing. But to see all of these uh in animated form, all the same class of starship warp in to save their sister ship really shows 
what the heart of the California class Starship cruise is all about, Casey. And I thought it was a great moment. Well, absolutely. As we learned earlier in the season, you know, the Cerritos has a reputation, and it's a good reputation with mm-hmm. the other Cali class yeah. ships. So, you, you, you know, it's the whole. We may fight amongst ourselves, but once there's an outside threat, we all we all turn back to back to yeah. kick that outside threat's butt. And this is what they do. And like you said, they they come through. <laughs> Once again, I'm like, all right, Cali class is not taking any crud. Yeah. The seeds for this have been planted all season long, you know, in the way that Cerritos is seen, not just by the other Cali class ships, but by people in general. And for the other Cali class ships to come to their defense and their rescue uh, is really just such a fantastic moment. Yeah, it, it really is. And the fact on this, it's Mariner who does this. Mariner, Mariner not right. only has her Indiana Jones moment early in the episode, <laughs> but yes. but Mariner is the one who says, you know, I know we may lose, we may die on this, but we have to. I have to do something, and takes the bull by the horns and saves the day. She finally realizes what her mission is. With her life. You know, she, she mm-hmm. was in Starfleet, she got out of it, and then realized it's exactly where she needed to be. And she needed that time away, I think, in order to understand that, especially yeah. when she's faced with the crisis that was facing her former crew. I can only hope that when Lower Decks completes its run as a series, the next animated series we get is Beckett Mariner Tomb Raider, because that part was <laughs> super fun. It was that great. It was awesome. It was really great. Um, got to see some Ferengi. Got to see the... I, I, I'm telling you, I was thinking Raiders of the Lost Ark with that Same. little idol at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. It was It was great. Speaking of which, um, I found it very interesting. I, we're not going to talk a lot about um, a Petra, because um, I think we all can agree that... I don't think any of us really love the character. I found it extremely interesting that Picard funded her and for her mission and her ship and everything. I thought that was interesting. How in the hell does Picard fund anything when there's no money, no money. on Earth? Latinum. Well, not on he, Earth. Does no, he, he got it from Cork. Does he sell the wine? <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, does he just give that away? He probably just gives it away. Oh, well, does Joseph Cisco charge for meals at Cisco's in, in I New would Orleans? certainly hope so. Probably that's not, though, food. because that's there's no food. money in the future. Ah, uh, that whole no money thing. Uh, uh, I know. Uh, uh, we're not even going to get into that. But uh, that yeah, I, I see where you're going. I see what you're saying. But yeah, I, was, uh, I, I found that was kind of kind of like, huh, that's interesting. I was glad to find out that Petra wasn't as slimy as Vosh. But I still don't yeah. like Petra um, mm-hmm. just because she rubs me the wrong way. I think that the, 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 the voice actor did a fantastic job, yep. created a character that I just didn't necessarily like. And honestly, I don't think we're supposed to like her. Um, I think because right. she was just mm-hmm. kind of temporary. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it gave Mariner something to do that was still very interesting. And I appreciated that. I find it interesting that you talked about Vash because one of the things I was thinking about with her is like, isn't it interesting that Petra is just like Vash and that she's kind of a, you know, kind of, you know, swindler and, and, you know, not really completely honest. And they're kind of putting that, that, um, mold into both female characters that were quote archeologists, but really Tomb Raiders. But yeah, not uh, as slimy as Vosh, yeah. so yeah. win-win. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. I mean, taking stuff back to the museums, and it's like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, 
we, we've got stuff going on right now with all the museums around the world to be like, hey, maybe some of these relics <laughs> should go back to where they originated from, not where when they were stolen and you brought them back to whatever. It's we, We've moved on on certain things as a society. It's like, I mean, for me, it's like circuses. Like yeah. you can see elephants and lions and all this other stuff in places. They're they're not necessary anymore because they're yeah. it's not exotic. No. Well, I'll tell you what. Speaking of things that you want to buy, and since we do still have money here in our time, let's oh, talk yeah. about our friends at Fansets. And then when we come back, we're going to continue this uh, awesome discussion on the season three finale. Dan, of course, it wouldn't be an episode of Trek Geeks without taking a moment. To thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Yeah, absolutely, man. You got it right. We love doing it every single week. Hey, it's a new month, and that means new pins from Fansets. And these pins that are available right now at Fansets.com are really special to me because this guy is just so awesome. In honor of Doug Jones returning to the role of Billy Butcherson in the new Disney Plus movie Hocus Pocus 2, our friends over at Fansets are having a Doug Jones release day. So head on over to Fansets.com right now to get these awesome new pins. The Captain Saru autograph pin, which is the second pin to be exclusively signed by Doug Jones. And I gotta tell you, the border for this autograph pin is just perfection. You want to check it out. Also available is the Micro Crew Captain Saru pin from Discovery Season 4. Uh, and this one here is pretty awesome. It's the Doug Jones Captain Saru pin. That's right, your favorite Kelpian and your favorite actor back-to-back. The magic of technology. It's all on the same pin. It's awesome. You got to check it out. And they're all available right now at fansets.com. They really are amazing pins too, Dan. Almost as amazing as Doug is himself. And of course, we love Doug. And of course, guess what, people? In addition to the amazing Doug Jones pins added on November 1st, Fansets also had a surprise pin drop this week, and it's none other than the Star Trek Picard La Serena emblem. That's right. They're all available now. So look, you know what I'm going to say. You know the drill. I know it. You know it. What's stopping you? Head on over to Fansets.com. Put all these new awesome Doug Jones pins in your cart, along with some accessories or gift cards, other stuff. To check out, be sure to enter the special discount code TrekGeeks for 10% off your entire order. That's TrekGeeks in all capital letters with no spaces. And of course, don't forget when you spend more than 30 bucks on fansets.com, you will get free shipping in the United States. Fansets, our pins have character. And we thank our friends for Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. So, guys, Bill, you know I, I love to do impersonations. I just whether they're good or bad, I still like to bad. Do them. Uh, they're usually bad. Uh, yeah, that's true. Except Cyrano <laughs> Jones, which I won't do here because I don't want or Arnold. His, I don't want his ears to bleed. Um, Boimler doing an impersonation of Shax was just fantastic, <laughs> and it was a good impersonation. And he's behind me, isn't he? That's all I could think of. Uh, and, and you know that was going to be the case, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's a little predictable, but it worked. It was funny. Mm-hmm. And it allowed us later on in the episode, which is why I even brought this up, that we get to see what we've been hearing about and seeing a little bit about all season long, the 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 Boimler that takes charge and is not going to mm-hmm. just, you know, sit back. He is, I forget what they call him at the beginning of the season. He had a nickname of Bold Boimler. Bold, bold, bold Boimler. He was bold when he told everybody on the bridge to shut up and listen to Shax and give him the props that he needed. Uh, I thought that was a fantastic moment, and I'm a huge Shax fan. I'm glad they brought him back from being killed in season one, and I thought this was his 
his big moment uh, in the series so far. I don't disagree with that one bit. I mean, it, it was it, it was a little over the top for Boimler to have to scream like that on the bridge. Yeah. But, I mean, Boimler screams. I get it. But it was it was the right thing to do. And Shaq's victory lap after that was like, yeah, because that's something Worf never got in seven seasons of TNG. He was always told no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't fire at the view screen, dummy. Bad Very idea, rare. Worf. Another bad <laughs> idea. Oh, once again, another bad idea. It's like, poor yeah. guy. Oh. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I remember, I remember in season, just going back for a second, talking about season one, I remember how I was devastated when Shaq died at the end of season one's finale. I really was was upset. I mean, I know that we're in the television age now where anybody can die. The Captain Freeman could have gotten killed in, in the finale. Anybody yep. could die. Beckett could have. Boimler could have. It just could have been mm-hmm. anybody. But to, to have Shaq's was really a disappointment. And then the way they brought him back, I was kind of questioning a little bit. I didn't know if it was going to work, but it did. And he's had some real growth um, all season long, his relationship with the doctor. And then we got to see him him save the day with his idea. He's always wanted to eject that warp core, and now he finally gets to do it, and it, it saves everybody. I thought it was just brilliant. He's a very passionate character. He's not an mm-hmm. angry character. Very no, passionate. Right. Everyone, Everything that he does shows you that. You know, the crazy Bonnie and Clyde... Hoo-ha, let's get it on <laughs> for play. It's like, okay. But going down the hallway and, you know, crying. And you're seeing yeah. that. It's like, yeah, this, this, this dude really, really cares about things. And yeah. lovely to see that. Thank the prophets. Um, I, got, I got one more thing before my final uh, comment, and that was, we talked about it last week a little bit when we saw uh, uh, Mariner resign from Starfleet and go mm-hmm. to Starbase 80, or after she went to Starbase 80, I should say. By the way, it was kind of cool to see Dr. Flox's bats flying around in Starbase 80. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. It was a nice yeah. little, little callback to Enterprise. Um, but I will say, uh, I said it last week, who really thought she was going to be gone long? I mean, nobody. It, 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 it it makes sense to to have her come back as quickly as she did, but also to kind of be the the heroine of the episode. I thought it was kind of cool, and it was good to see her back and and the reaction that everybody gave when they realized that they all effed up and it had nothing to do with what she said. Mm-hmm. She said that she loved everything about what went on in the ship, and it was a perfect ship to serve on. I I think you covered mm-hmm. it all. I mean, yeah. I don't think I don't think anybody believed that Mariner was going to be gone into next season. It just didn't make yeah. sense. Right. Um, and she had to come in and save the day because she's Beckett Mariner. That's what mm-hmm. she does. Yeah. You know, almost it's, every time. So, yeah. And, and as always, Tani just, just a, such a phenomenal job as does everybody in the cast. But, uh, uh, she really, she really hit a grand slam this week, but guys, I want to, mm-hmm. the last thing I want to talk about, and then I'll let you guys, uh, wrap up with whatever you got is got to talk about that after credit scene. I will be 100% honest. When I watched the, the, uh, the screener that we got, I watched it. I was in the middle of doing something. So as soon as it ended, I shut yeah. it off and I walked away and I didn't think anything about it. Bill mentioned something to me or posted something on Twitter or something after the episode ended aired and i was like say huh there's a marvel universe type end credit scene what are you talking about so i went and watched it and it's only like five seconds ten seconds long but oh man was that a fantastic (laughs) way to end the season on kind of a cliffhanger i've got two questions would would it be amazing to see peanut hamper and um uh, agamus agamus and and badgie team up 
as a triple AI threat in a future season. And it was the, the, the tractor beam was green. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking it was the Borg. What do you think? Yeah. I'll let Casey go first. Okay. Okay, Casey then. Casey. I, I, I think it's the Borg. I think you have those three AIs working together. I think they eat each other alive. I think they backstab <laughs> each other to not get what their goal is because each one's going to be want to be the one in charge, which then makes very cool story ideas and dramatic stuff for seasons coming up. And then you you include all those psycho characters. Yeah. Being assimilated by the Borg? <laughs> Holy crud. The, well, the, oh. reason I, the reason I bring up, Bill, whether or not it's the Borg, I kind of thought that at first because it's green, but what would the Borg be doing in a debris field where there isn't anything to assimilate, per se, because it's all just wreckage? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I could be way off in thinking it's a Borg. Maybe I'm, we're all going to be shocked at what we see next year, but, the, but that's what I thought. Well, they're all about technology and, and improving themselves. Maybe they detected an AI somehow in scanning mm -hmm. the debris field. Maybe who knows? Who knows? Um, it could be the Borg. I, I don't. I think it probably is. But I mean, the Romulans have green tractor beams too. That's true. Yeah. So who knows who it could be? Of course, you saw that flash of Badgie. Um, I think, and I'm going to call it now. I think that the season four finale involves the Borg and Badgie and Adjumus and Peanut oh, Hamper boy. and a cliffhanger. Oh man! So oh, flag wow, the that's... tape, because um, okay. <laughs> we're gonna in season the season four finale when we do that probably next year at this time. Mm -hmm. um, we're gonna come back to this and see how wrong I was. That's bold, and I like it. One of the things I thought was really cool about that scene, as quick as it was, is is that it was Rutherford's uh, cybernetic piece that Shax ripped off his head before he before he saved him at the end mm -hmm. of season one. And I just I just love these little tiny callbacks and details that this crew uh, who writes the show and does the show has in their mind when they're writing the stuff. I just thought it was brilliant. So so guys, what else you got about what we had with the season finale? I'm really bummed that this is the last time we get to talk about Lower Decks for a while, but at the same time, there was so much going on that we could go on forever. It really does. Um, I you know last week I did a how have we not talked about something this week. <laughs> How have we not talked about the interface to the Texas class starships is the M five computer from the ultimate <laughs> yeah. computer in yes. the original series. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about the mother of all callbacks. You want to talk about in your face. You, anyone seeing this should know how it's going to go the second they see that computer. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. It was, a, it's a great Easter egg. It's a great callback, but it's a great, you know, um, shadow of what's to come uh, yeah. personally. Um, I, I also have to say, we finally get to see Talen again after a year. That was beautiful. Yes. I, and it's funny that I thought, I, and I talked, I don't know if I talked about it on the show or after yeah. the show, I thought that that was Tawny doing the voice of that character, but it isn't. Uh, but it is kind of okay. cool that she's back and she's going to be on next season because everybody loved her. And then I only have two other things. Um, one, Buen Amigo is smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he see the signs on the bridge of the um, uh, the simulator for the Kobayashi Maru that say no smoking? <laughs> and then lastly, I love a good callback. We all love a good callback. And this week we get a callback of the Brigadoon type planet from Deep Space Nine in the episode Meridian. 
Oh, the yes, planet that shows right. up every now and then yep, where yep. Dax falls in love and plans to stay and then realizes she can't stay. A, an episode directed by Jonathan Frakes. Great little take on that Brigadoon planet type thing. I loved it. Good callback. Good, good details, man. I love it. Casey, what do you got, man, as we wrap it up? I will burn your heart in a fire. <laughs> that I say that so well. <laughs> I think about that all the time with you. Um <laughs> But wow, that that's not just that's creepy beyond a certain thing that okay, oh the ship is saying this. Is the ship feeling this? And mm. yeah. And it's like uh, okay, they they are in in deep, deep trouble. And you know, Bill, yeah, you're bringing it up with the M five. I was like Oh my! <laughs> this 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 went south really fast. But here here's the thing: we talked about it last week. I, I brought up who thinks AI controlled starships is a good idea. Look at what the M five did with Commodore Wesley or mm-hmm. Commodore Stone or whoever it was. I forget what it was the M five did all that damage yet he's got the m5 in his office or is the whole interface for the for the ship i just was like wow somebody's not reading their captain's logs very much here's something to think about what if the code for badgie was mingled with the code for daystrom's m5 (laughs) huh that's kind of next level mind-blowing but yeah i have to believe that that's could be what happened here that, yeah. Ooh. Get McMahon on the phone. We got to talk to him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me do that right after I call Van Sitters and Sitters tell him then. what you think about his starship. I think his starship is fantastic. Yeah. I know you do. I, yeah, I know, the I world knows. We, we all know. <laughs> uh, wow. Hey, if it's not going to be the starship Davidson, it might as well be the Van Sitters, right? Van Sitters is not handing out gold stars, Dan. <laughs> yeah. No, no. And the starship Davidson would be a garbage scow. Ouch. Oh, my goodness. Well, at least it's something. Anyway, thanks. Thanks. Every I I talk about how great you guys every week, and that's what you get. Really, you read. <laughs> you read how great we are. We don't believe a word you that's say. True. I don't oh, even know if he too. writes it. <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. Do it. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> well, guys, we had a great time. What an amazing season finale, and what an amazing season. I think it's best to. Uh, uh, I think it's the best one so far. As I said earlier in this uh, in this recording, and Mike McMahon and his team are doing a simply phenomenal job. Uh, unfortunately, Casey, there's no episode next week. Hmm. Uh, but what do we have coming up that you can tell us about? Ah, uh, well, Dan, with the wrap of Lower Deck season three, we'll be taking some extended shore leave. But you Discovering Trek fans will be happy to see the return of Discovering Trek Prodigy now that the second half of Season 1 has kicked off. And we'll be back for a special episode of Discovering Trek Lower Decks when the crossover with Strange New Worlds happens in Season 2. And then, of course, we'll be back for the entirety of Season 4 of Lower Decks. But everyone, until then, remember that you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us where... Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the best way, hey, just download the Trek Geeks Podcast Network app. Wait, we come back for an episode during Stranger Worlds? That's not in my contract. You have you have you know no what? contract. I have rewritten your contract, sir. I don't think and that's how it works. We are going to have a fantastic time. You're going to love it, and you're going to be back. Okay. And, end of discussion. 
<laughs> Don't forget, you can support Discovering Trek and Bill coming back for that special episode, as well as the whole Trek Geeks podcast network by subscribing to bonus content on Patreon. Get access to the unedited audio of all of our podcasts and a whole bunch of other fun perks. We want to take a moment to say a big thank you to our fantastic producers of Discovering Trek. We are truly grateful for their support. Mike Bovia, Steve Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Andy Davenport, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Lionel Marchand, Matthew McGonigal, Darren Metcalf, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Casey Pettit, Jamie Rogers, Major Self, Casey Shafsky, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Terry Shull, Jim Stoffel, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, who, by the way, is on time, Dan, this week. No, I don't believe that for a second. I know. And the lovely and talented <laughs> Jess Vashon. Dan, the senior producer of Trek Geeks, is everyone's boss here, mm-hmm. the one and only Jude Tatman. Yes, sir. There you go. Hey, if all of you out there would like to support Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks podcast network, come on, beam on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks, where subscription levels start at a mere, a very tiny, quite small, $2 a month. Extremely small. Of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the other member podcasts on the network. You know, you've got this show, Discovering Trek. You have the original Trek Geeks, which Dan and I host. There's Polytreks. There's Five-Year Mission, Deep Space Pride, Infinite Trek, The Divine Treasury, Sci-Fi Sisters with the first link. Let's just say there's a bunch of shows. We don't want to leave anybody out, but we'd be here all day, honestly. So (laughs) get yourself on over to trekgeeks.com slash listen to find where you can listen to them all. The Trek Geeks podcast network, no one, no one, no no two, no three talks Trek like we do. No one. Well, everybody, here we are. Uh, Thanks for joining us for our discussion on Lower Decks Season 3's finale, The Stars at Night. Lower Decks is simply amazing Star Trek, and it's been a joy to watch every single week. It's also been a joy to have discussions about each episode with these two wonderful guys, Bill and Casey. Uh, Yes, I did write this. Uh, Gents, uh, as I say every week, I could not have done it without you guys. The success of this show is due to you two and the great friendship we share, as well as the love of Star Trek and of Lower Deck. So thank you both for a fantastic season. And I also want to give a special shout out to our dear friend and former co-host, Sarah. Uh, The discussions that we had with her when she was with us for the beginning of the season were fantastic, and we certainly wish her all the best and hope she's doing well. Uh, And finally, a huge thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us talk all season long about Lower Decks. We hope that our love of the show comes through each week, and we hope that you had as much fun listening as we did recording. I'm looking forward to doing it all again for the Lower Decks Strange New Worlds crossover, Bill, uh, and then again with Season 4. So until next time and next season, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.